Welcome to the Reactive Attachment Disorder Parenting Podcast, where we share tools and resources for transforming your rad kid into a family kid. The information and advice given in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for seeing a licensed therapist. If you are involved in a therapy program or under medical care, consult your health care professional before making any changes to your regime or engaging in any exercises mentioned. If you'd like more information on RAD therapy or would like to connect with a RAD therapist, schedule a session or teleconference with me by visiting my website, www.fullcirclefamilycounseling.com. So we'll see, so if a spouse who has PTSD and from war and they're coming home and then the spouse is that's home waiting for them is kind of like, I'm not dealing with the same person, right? And there's a, there's a sense of betrayal and there's a sense of tremendous amount of anger and, um, and hopelessness and helplessness. There's a sense of like, I do not know who I'm dealing with. This is not the person I married. Um, when is this gonna go away? Um, I can't count on them. They're not as reliable as they used to be. And the children suffer from that as well. Because it might be, this isn't, this isn't my parent, this is not, I, or they might not even know their parent, because if there's been so many deployments, that they come home for a short period of time and then they leave again. Mm. You brought up an interesting uh, question, as when will this go away? And in your experience, what what does it take for that to resolve or to start to go away? Yeah, and and my response to to the whole family is this is not going to go away. We're going to be able to increase the coping skills and be able to filter through what what's being activated and what's being triggered and help the the suffering PTSD person to be able to handle those uh, those responses, those, those activations. Uh, it's kind of like, it's kind of like cutting yourself deeply and then you, you, the scar is always gonna be there. It will heal and it will fade, but the event can't go away. So what's caused the PTSD, that event cannot be wiped out of one's essence of being. Now we have ways of being able to reorganize that, repattern that, create a different story, a create, a create a different narrative story to that um, so that there's new support systems put in place. And the whole family has to be able to work together. It's got to be a family system. They all have to work together as support system. So this isn't like I'm going to send my spouse away and they're going to go and go to this treatment and they're going to come back and be all fixed. They're going to come back with a tremendous amount of really good coping skills and really good understanding of who they are now at this given moment. But if that's not supported and and and. Um, incorporated into the whole family systems, eventually it will erode away and it won't, you know, it's, it's not like something you can go and fix, it's something like you can go and learn coping skills, you can go and learn 
to understand, have a better understanding of who you are and what your sense of self is, when you come back, that needs to be integrated and incorporated into a new understanding for the entire family system. This was a, a VA stat, mm -hmm. um, and this was a, a Vietnam vet study. That um, looking back over the past, over a previous year, and this was, I believe was in the late '90s or early 2000s, said 42% of Vietnam vets uh, reported at least one act of physical violence against their partner, mm -hmm. and then 92% at least one act of extreme verbal aggression. So, and that the severity of the PTSD was directly correlated to the severity of relationship problems and the verbal and physical yeah. aggression. Yeah. Um, now, they also have, uh, I guess, the, the VA stats uh, include, you know, the, the entire range of veterans from World War II to mm -hmm. current, and the their stats are somewhere, around, they say, 11 to 22 percent of vets have PTSD. Yeah. And yet, when I look at newer statistics, mm -hmm. um, like wounded warriors, is yeah. that you know, especially younger veterans, right. it's at least one in three mm -hmm. that have it, and then one in five have a traumatic brain injury. Right. Right. So there's a lot that's going on brain-wise. There's a lot that's going on emotionally yeah. and physically. Exactly. Um, that is related to this in your experience of, of seeing vets I know that you know you're dealing with a specific population that's actually seeking you right right but so. are you in your experience and what you've experienced with the day yeah. and your research yeah. what about what percentage would you guess I, I agree right there I think it, it's at least one in every three if not two in every three um, veteran that has that's going to have some form of PTSD, um, uh, some form of traumatic brain injury. Uh, I think the reason why the stat numbers are so high at this point is that we have such amazing equipment these days that they survive. Whereas in World War Two, World War One, and and even in Vietnam, that body gear wasn't there, and so people would they would just die. And now we're able to keep the whole organ system intact and we're seeing and and so we're and then the head gets traumatized and, and people are surviving and the PTSD level goes up um, so I think that as if as many veterans had survived Vietnam or World War II we would, the stat number of PTSD would be as high as it is today uh, and and also, you know, the world's just a busier place right now, too. There's, a, there's, there's so much stimulation with the internet, uh, which is lovely, and it's a great way to stay connected, and there's nothing wrong with it. And does it, it but it doesn't give the brain a chance to be, have restorative rest. There's so much stimulation through internet, through television, through advertisement, at the pace that our world is working at, with cell phones and everything, that 
the brain doesn't have a chance to just restore and rest. Um, and that activation of constantly being stimulated, I think, keeps the PTSD in a state of activation. So if we actually could like, and that's why I think forest bathing is so useful. I think that's where being able to remove uh, folks who are suffering from PTSD and put them in a place where they, it's just calm, their nervous system can calm down and relax and they get that restorative restoration place of, of recuperation, then their, their recovery time probably will increase. Uh, and that's why I'll say to you know, young vets or kids that struggle with PTSD, try to disconnect to connect, right? Try to try to disconnect from all the stimulation through the through electronics to allow their brain to just slow down. Um, and that's probably the best 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 thing you can do. And wouldn't you say that that neurofeedback kind of gives that brain a chance to find that balance of restoration and restorativeness? Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why I think neurofeedback can be really helpful. Uh, along with, you know, like movement therapy, which is why the funny yoga and mindfulness are so effective. Yeah, heart rate variability. Heart rate variability. Um, forest bathing, I can't say that enough because that's my big, my big thing I'm excited about right now is being able to, and, you know, family time, connection being able to have that heart-to-heart, skin-on-skin, eye-to-eye connection. And when I say skin-on-skin, skin, I mean just being able to be in physical, like not sexual, but physical contact of just connecting with, with, with your, you know, a parent-child, a, a spouse, a, you know, spouses and so forth like that, friends. That is an interesting, I mean, I, I realize that, I understand that, that healing and restorative right. power of, of touch. Mm -hmm. And yet with in PTSD, because it is such a disease of avoidance, mm -hmm. how do you break through that? That's a really good question. It's a really good question. And I think that's where movement therapy and yoga comes in really useful because it's 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 structured. Right? There's a way of helping someone connect to themselves, connect to the earth, connect to knowing where they are in space and time so that that helps uh, allow the doorway into touch. And eye contact is a really critical piece. And I know that a lot of people who suffer from PTSD, it's, eye contact is almost too much. It's just too much. It's like, I can't look at you. I don't want to look at you. And I, I think that's, I, I think the reason for that is because they've lost connection with themselves. And that's what PTSD is. It's post-traumatic stress. It is it's it's reacting to stress that's to an event that's happened and it disconnects us from our who we know ourselves to have been so if i no longer know who i am anymore because of something that happened to me then i don't know how to relate to myself and then therefore i don't know how to relate to you and then if i don't know how to relate to myself and i don't know who i am anymore and i then i which keeps me from relating to you then eye contact and touch is oh, it's, it's it's like a it's too stimulating, right? So it's like being able to reconnect to themselves, to reprogram, to redevelop, rediscover the new narrative of who am I? Oh, I'm someone that only has one leg now. What can I do with that? What what is this offering me? How can I speak my gratitude and forgiveness around this so that I come to peace with who I know myself to be at this given moment? 
And I think that's the first step in work. And having the support of other vets, having the support of um, the PTSD uh, vets, spouses and friends and community and, and family is gonna help them to mirror back, oh, but underneath that you're still, you're still lovable. You're still someone that's worthy of being in relationship with. And I think it's that connection that begins the healing process. And there's so many different ways and modalities to get to that. And so it's a matter of finding out what modality is gonna work for, for this person. Because there's no set cookie cutter way of, of finding that. You know, it could be we're gonna go neurofeedback first. <coughs> we're going to go and do EMDR first. Or maybe we're just gonna do movement therapy. Yeah, maybe just sitting out in the woods. Like, you know, each person's uniquely different, so it's like, what is the treatment, what is the treatment plan gonna be for this individual person and their support system that's gonna be able to be carried through and activated, and they're gonna kinda go, wow, I love this, this is great. Um, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but. <laughs> sounds good. Long-winded, passionate, kind of like this is. Mm -hmm. You know, because one event for one person, the same event for two different people mm -hmm. can have, they have two very different effects. Yeah. You know, for some person that could be like, wow, that's exciting, and that was like, wow, wasn't that really amazing? And so for someone else it could be like, oh my God, I'm traumatized forever. Mm -hmm. And it could be as simple as a roller coaster ride, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, you know, like, you know, it's like, I wanna do it again, and the person's like, never ever again, don't ever talk to me about that again. Um, and it's based on what, who we are before we came into that event, and, mm -hmm. and how do we integrate that event, and then how do we, and then how do we see ourselves after the event? Um, so a lot of PTSD work is really looking back at who that person was before the event took place, and was that person integrated and healthy, and have did they have their own support system and coping skills in in um, you know active for them and, and in place before the event took place. What, what do you see the relationship between uh, military training mm -hmm. that teaches those survival skills? You know, I mean, when people come back and they have PTSD, they are generally, um, either they're, they're kind of stuck in survival mode. Yeah. You know, hyper. Because then they can put the pieces together themselves. Like, oh yeah, you're right. You know, this is a safe place, but in their mind, they think, they're still operating out of the battlefield type of thing where, and it really happened a lot with Vietnam and current day, right? Because children had bombs on them, the women had bombs on them. You never knew who their friendlies were. And so, but they're not aware of it in their homes a lot of times that they're acting that way. The wife says it, but until someone else notices it and says it. So it always comes out when I'm talking to them, like helping them with that PTSD diagnosis. And I'm like, this is what it looks like. You know, you, you take a gun to the door and they're like, oh, oh, that's what that is. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I'm like, if, you're a, if you'll just understand that the enemy, you left the enemy behind, but it's making that cognitive, whatever it's, that is, right. they're making that connection now. Oh, that's what it is. And then it's like, they can be more cognizant that you're right. It's, there's probably not an Iraqi at my door. It, it might just be the neighbor. And being I able to say, right, yeah, and I think being able, I think it's perfect the way to verbalize, and, and I think it is really letting them know to kind of like, it's taking that moment and expanding it and being able to kind of have that cause and effect thinking of being able to kind of go, 
oh, wait a minute, I'm home now, I'm not in Iraq, oh, that door goes to the to the neighbor, you know, out to the, out into the neighborhood, not out into someplace else. Um, to be able to look and say, oh, that's my spouse, you know, I've got kids in the house, yeah. uh, you know, so that I think being able to, and that's where mindfulness exercises and meditation and yoga and forest bathing and any modalities that of that nature that teaches the brain where neurofeedback can be really useful here, the brain to have that expansive moment of what we would call cause and effect thinking to kind of go, oh, okay, wait a minute. This is PTSD. This is not my being crazy. Right. This isn't, the wife's not going to look at me like and kind of go, oh, there's my crazy husband again. It's like, oh, that's the PTSD. Yes. That's, that's that symptom. Right. That's that symptom. And I always find it's really helpful to be able to sort of say, that served me really well when I was at war, mm-hmm. and now I'm home. Mm-hmm. To tell yourself, I'm home right now, yeah. I'm safe, yeah. it's going to be okay, yeah. and I'm still me, yeah. and I can move forward. So That's maybe it's helping to reframe where, where yeah. we, you know, you always want professional help because it, it, takes an out, it, it takes another person's point of view, not the spouse, another person to help mm-hmm. you work through what those triggers are and to reframe them. For example, when there's a knock at the door, your instant thought is it, it's it's an enemy versus your neighbor and you know, just recognizing it's a PTSD symptom and that there is you know, there's hope for that. You know, to help you just reframe um, to reframe those thoughts or those cognitions or I don't know how you yeah. say it. I'm not good at putting no, words together. No, you're good, you're good, it's working. Um, did you record any of this? Because when Emma called me, she not like, anymore. Knocked it out. I had started. Okay, good. I can so, go ahead some more. Um, because what you have and what I have, might she she you know when a phone call comes in, she like knocks it off. Um, so um, the helpful Catherine at all. Have you found? Um, and this is a question for both of yeah. you. Uh, have you found that in, um, well, th- have you discussed, do you, do you take the time to, really, to talk to the vets about the, the physiological aspect of PTSD? Yeah. You know, really dealing yeah. with brain yeah. stuff. But how, you know, you know there's that, they mm-hmm. get stuck in that mm-hmm. fight right. or flight, yeah. the, mm-hmm. it, and then yeah. the brain is it's, dysregulated. Yeah. Yes, right. And they're, you know, you know that they they can't normalize, mm-hmm. and that they do. You know, they're always like primed for the the threat. And does do you tend to get what what reaction do you get from vets when they hear that? Are, are they, they relieved shocked. that? Yeah. Are they you know? They're shocked and relieved. They're shocked that like a lot of them are not even connected to their bodily response until we say to them where do you feel it in your body? And you taught me that. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? We're, we're, when we're talking about this stressful that what happened on the battlefield right now, where do you feel it? Oh my God, I feel it in my stomach or my hands are sweating right now. 
you know and so then it's like okay so this is this is what happens and that shows that you're still responding to that thing so it is very much always a part of conversation educating educating them educating them yeah and I think it's really important I think think for yourself like I'll speak for myself but I think about like when I was having stomach pains you know it's kind of like oh my god I'm dying or there's something wrong with me or like this isn't going away or this could be an ulcer or what is this and you gotta have the doctor kind of explain no this is how your digestive system is working it's responding to this food and if you take this out or do this it's that and it's like the relief of like oh okay great Mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not crazy i'm not dying i'm not you know like okay so when we break it down to make it into layman's terms it kind of helps to kind of explain Mm -hmm. i think this is how your nervous system is responding to what your what your brain's input is telling it right and and vice versa so let's be able to kind of think and that's where i love like being it's like this immediate response which kept them alive to be able to give them space to have that expansive ooh, look at that expansiveness of going oh okay this is just my hands are sweating because my nervous system is responding to the fear that i'm interpreting and it's not really you know, the knock on the door is not someone barging in going to kill my family. It's just the neighbor asking for a cup of sugar type of thing, right? So, but I do think it really helps. I think, I think it is really helpful just to explain, explain it to them. How often do you, do you, um, are people really willing to step into Yes, I want to. I want to change. I want this part of my life to be. I want to put this in the past, and right. I want to move forward, yeah. and I want to heal. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the healing process is frightening. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's hard for me to say because I'm the last stop on the train, so to speak. So by the time they get to me, they're like desperate. Uh, but I think it sometimes it takes that. You know, it's like. How much can we tolerate and then at a certain point it wears down and we can't tolerate it anymore and so that's the point of like our marriage is dissolved our children don't want to speak to us I've gotten arrested several times for you know drinking and driving or getting into fights or I restraining orders out on me for my aggression or just flashbacks um, I think it, it, it's an individual thing as far as like at what point does that, when they hit that breaking point of kind of going, something needs to give here. And once they hit that point, they're very receptive to anything. It's like, I'm, I'm desperate. I, I haven't slept in 30 years. I, you know, I haven't slept for a full night. I need help. Um, I wonder, coming right off the, you know, coming from, from more home, right, that right then and there, if it were more, if it were, if the military could support it and say, this is, you know, this is just the process of debriefing and this is what we're going to do. And I, I think they may be doing that now. I'm not sure. Um, you know, I think, I don't know. I, I can't imagine a vet not being receptive. It depends on how it's being presented. Um, but wouldn't you agree, Kimberly, that more times than not they come in because their spouses or their children or they've lost their job or they can't drive to work anymore. It's something that's hugely external that that says to them, oh, (laughs) I need some help. Yeah. 
wouldn't it be nice if they just, that it was at the point where I was accepted. You've been of great service to our country. And in return for that, we want to help you make sure that your, your transition back home is as smooth as possible. We want to incorporate the entire family into supporting each other and, 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 trans and being able to bring you back home so that your, your brain can shift from being in war to being at home. And that's a huge, that's, a, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's going from attention to let me sit on the couch and like just lay back and trust that everything is just beautiful and fine. Well, in, initially, when when that's come home too, there's there's that the honeymoon period. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. they they come back and there's that you know there's relief and joy and reconnecting. There's you know there's sex. Right. And, yeah. That's lovely. Um, all that you know, connection and honeymoon time. Playing with my kids again mm -hmm. and getting to know them a little bit, and then all of a sudden. We, we start dealing with real life right. stuff. Um, I gotta go to the supermarket, put the laundry in, do the, you know, my spouse wants me to watch the kids babysitting or. Yeah, I, you know, I, things aren't normal when people come home immediately yeah. or initially because things just aren't normal. Mm -hmm. Everything's, right. everything's new. But then when, when the newness starts to wear off, there's a realization that there's there's nothing here that is really normal. Right, right, yeah. So what you're saying about that a reintegration is huge. It's huge. Yeah. And it would be you know, I think that's what I would love to offer. It's like let me help you reintegrate into the into the everyday life. That when your nervous system learns to be on hypervigilance and learns to be on alert because you're like ready for anything and everything and you're ready to jump in a split second. That's a, that's a huge adrenaline rush. And when you come home and life is, normal life can be very boring to the nervous system. It's like, you know, like, it's like I'm waiting. What, you know, what do I need to do now? Uh, and that's a hard adjustment because putting our nervous system on that hypervigilant adrenaline rush of like, I'm at alert all the time is, it's like being on crack. It's, it's very addictive. And so then when you come off of that and you're coming into, I'm not getting that fed anymore, it's like, it's like crack withdrawal. So at first, there's the euphoria of like, wow, I don't have to be on alert. This is great. I'm, you know, I'm connecting with my spouse. I'm like, I'm loving my kids. You know, I'm eating food that I haven't had for, you know, in, in months. But then when that wears off, there's like, where's my adrenaline fix? Where's that like, and when that doesn't happen, then the anger and the depression and the anxiety sets in. And that's, that's when trouble hits. Uh, and that's why so many vets are addicted to pornography, to video games, because it puts the brain in that same fast mode of operation of like, I have to respond really quickly and I, I'm getting my crack fixed, so to speak. So that's, that's the tricky thing. And that's why a lot I hear a lot of vets say, you know, if I could just de deploy again and be with my buddies, and, yeah. and I, then I know what my purpose is. I'm ready to go. I'm on, I'm on alert. I'm like, okay, you know. Um, and those that are not adept 
adrenaline junkies, they don't usually make very good soldiers. You know, after a while, they're kind of like, I'm, I'm done. You know, it's like, uh, so those that make it through boot camp and make it in and they're like, these are amazing soldiers, they're already like high powered. They're the, they're the, uh, the cream of the crop, you know, they're like, they're like ready to go. And so we really need them when we're in war for that. They're, mm-hmm. When they come home, they're, they're, it's kind of like, it's kind of like being a German shepherd and you've been trained for this mission. And then there's like, there's no mission anymore. It's like, like, you know, you, you've seen dogs like that, right? I mean, you know, it's like, you know, they're pacing and yeah. they're walking around and they're looking and they're jumping and like when, you know, give me something to do, yeah. right? And so and that's what are, a lot of them yeah. tell me too. It's just that adrenaline. They need an adrenaline fix, yeah. and they will do anything they can to get that adrenaline rush. Yeah. And that's they really struggle with that when yeah. they get out. And that's why so many just, like you said, pornography. Um, that's where you'll see a lot of extramarital affairs, and they don't understand why. Right. They don't understand why their spouses don't understand why. But that's that's kind of what it is. Yeah. They're looking for that that fix for yeah. something: yeah. drugs, alcohol, yeah. sports, racing. Just yeah, anything that's just risk-taking. Yeah. You know, risk-taking. They're going to do crazy, crazy stuff. I mean, I know I've worked with a lot of vets, so, like, you know, they're in the gym, they're pushing themselves, mm-hmm. they're signing up to be jumping out of, like, helicopters and doing trainings and just beating themselves up because it's like they want, they need, it's not like they want, they need that adrenaline yeah. rush. Yeah. Um, and that, that's hard to unwire. That takes a lot. But see, of if they recognized it, though, if they came out and they were educated about what's going to happen to them, right. that's the problem. That's yeah. the disconnect. They're yeah. not educated that you, if you do not get help immediately and readjustment the proper way through a professional, almost, mm-hmm. you're going to deal with PTSD symptoms, and it's going to hit you unknowingly, you and your family. And so, if they could even be educated immediately, this is going to happen. And then what can we do proactively to help you do stuff that's going to help you with your adrenaline rush? What can we do for you? Um, Because there are things people could do. They could go to, go still do some parachuting or if they knew. But the problem is people don't know. They don't know. They're just reacting to PTSD symptoms. Um, And the wife just thinks, well, you just suddenly don't love me or not this. Or or not enough. Yeah. Why am I, why are the kids and I not enough? Um, and it's really, it's not that they're not enough. It's just that it's, you know, it's not the same. You know, the, 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 ch- the wife and the ch- children's nervous system is down on the normal, like, level of, like, dealing with stress. And, and the warrior's nervous system is like, this is their norm, right? And so it's like, you know, to bring it down here is very boring and to bring this to, and then they'll try to bring their spouses up by getting into arguments and mm-hmm. aggression and all kinds of crazy things to, to have that reaction so that they feel like oh now you understand and they're like I need that rush yeah. um, can I say something that's really really important that I've noticed with yeah. every couple every veteran I've talked to uh, that has been experienced wartime battlefield every one of them come back and they say they cannot emotionally connect to their spouses or no one other than their children no one can they can they can't connect emotionally to their spouses that's correct Mm -hmm. only their children that's pretty much it Mm -hmm. um i think they can connect to their children because the the paternal and maternal instinct mm -hmm. of protection Mm -hmm. is there 
and that's really strong in these mm -hmm. warriors. Mm -hmm. They're like, I have this, th that's my job, right, is to go in and protect the country, mm -hmm. go in and protect my, you know, protect yeah. these civ civilians, protect my children, and so they can connect emotionally to that. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to having this equal connection of intimacy and partnership, yeah. they're like, nah, nah, I can't do that. That's too vulnerable, yeah. that's too vulnerable, because with a child, they're still in the hierarchy, they're still above it, right? Mm -hmm. They're still like, I'm still in charge because mm -hmm. it's my job to protect and connect and, and love this being. Um, and it's, you know, that goes back and forth with the spouse too, but more times than not, a healthy spouse relationship is of equal give and take. And that's, that's hard to do. It's hard to do, yeah, I agree with you, it's tough. I had a guy say the other day that um, even at work, and when you look at him, he's so put together, but even at work, at work, home, with anyone, he doesn't even want to talk to another human if they've not, if they have not been in combat, because he feels he just can't relate to anybody unless they've been in combat. Yeah. And his wife is even military, but he doesn't relate to her because she wasn't in combat. And he's like, I don't feel I'm superior. It's just they haven't done it. They yeah. haven't. They had don't understand what they I'm don't going understand. Yeah. So he thinks they totally don't understand any part of that. Yeah. You know, which is really sad, yeah. you know, but, um, yeah. yeah. CLIA uh -huh. is for clinical laboratories, so if you're doing specimens of blood oh. or urine or anything like that. Thank so you. Probably doesn't apply. To yeah. You. Okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, hey, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Em got on the 3 o'clock flight, so she'll be in at three at 4.45. 445. Yeah. Um, I, and I don't know that we want to tell wives that, because that's very depressing. That. That their spouses really can't connect to them. Oh, yeah, but you know, sometimes it's useful, though, I think. Sometimes to say, look, it's not you. Your mm -hmm. spouse's brain is just not able to connect right now. And I think sometimes it's helpful for them to hear, it's just don't take it personally. I mean, it's really tough. Mm -hmm. And so, if, and sometimes it's kind of like, we're going to have to be that person's coach to help them versus, you know, like it's different than, it's like when you've got the coach mentality, then you're not in the game, right? You're mm -hmm. kind of on the outside coaching mm -hmm. and that's sometimes helpful, I think, for spouses. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you found this podcast useful. To add more tips to your bag, scheduled teleconferencing sessions or intensives with me, visit my website, www.fullcirclefamilycounseling.com where you can schedule session, sessions, access other podcasts, and additional support resources. Please be sure to sign up for the newsletter to receive parenting tips, access to webinars, and exclusive content. Take a moment to subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitchers, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. If you have any questions that you would like answered, feel free to email us at tracy at gmail.com. As always, much gratitude to the folks at Love & Logic, Nancy Thomas, Daniel Hughes, and many others for teaching throughout the years on reactive attachment disorder. Until we connect again, remember that you are not alone. Find the humor in the chaos. Stay consistent in your efforts and continue to reach out. I am here healing your heart to heart connection one heart at a time.